0: This is the third sermon uh, right now in our series on the the seven churches and uh, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Today we'll be looking at the second church, uh, the letter, the postcard that Jesus presents to it. And uh, the church is the church of Smyrna. Text is found in Revelation chapter two verses eight down through verse eleven. <clears throat> this is the uh, a church that there is no condemnation given to them. There's uh, only good things here that are said about this church. Uh, but also an encouragement to them that they continue to do the things uh, that they have been doing. So Revelation chapter 2, starting there in verse 8, says this, And the angel, that's the messenger, of the church in Smyrna, write, The first and the last who is dead and has come to life, if you go back over to chapter one, when we were over there studying in verse seventeen, uh, it says there. Then John, uh, when he saw him, saw Jesus, and the, the imagery that's uh, presented there in the preceding verses it says that he fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, "Do not be afraid. I am the first and last, last. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega." He said, and I'm the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So this one here being talked about here in, in the verse 8 of chapter 2, saying that I'm the first, the last. If you go back, it's already been explained to us who this is. This is Jesus. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's at the beginning And he's going to be at the end. He's he's ever liveth. He did die for us. We know on Calvary, we just thought about that as we communed with him around the Lord's table. And we know that, again, he is alive. He's here presenting this message here to the church of Smyrna. And John, his beloved apostle, is penning this. Verse 9, he says this, I know. Every one of the seven churches, Jesus says, I know. Jesus can tell us today, I know. I know who you are. I know what you did this week. I know what you did last night. I know what you did 10 years ago if you're that old. I know what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows everything. He knows what these people are doing. Okay, at the church of Smyrna, he goes on and says, I know your tribulation, your your afflictions, the things that you've been going through as a church. I know your poverty. But you're rich. See, they're, they're going through poverty. We're going to talk about all this stuff. But you're rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they're Jews. There's people in the town of Smyrna that are saying they're Jews. But he says they're not. But they're of the synagogue of Satan. They think they're going to the synagogue of God and worshiping God. But really, they're your enemies. They're enemies of mine. He says, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt. By the second death, and we know the second death is the lake of fire, hell. So just to recap a few things that we've looked at in the first few sermons. Uh, The churches of Asia, Asia were going to suffer great persecution, pressure from various sources. We identified three of them. One is pagan Rome, all the false gods and so forth that they worshiped. Uh, And associated with that, it would be the sensuality and materialism. Again, the false gods and the perversions that were at these temples and the things that they did um, when they were worshiping the false Greek gods or the Roman gods uh, were terrible. They were going to suffer persecution from political Rome. The armies and the emperors and those people, they were going to oppress the churches And we see in the book of Acts in different places and in church history where they've done that. Here in this town, we're going to talk about Caesar worship. They worshiped Caesar. It started here in Smyrna, spread throughout the kingdom of Rome. And then there's also persecution that comes from Papal Rome. And uh, this would be religious persecution, false teachings. Uh, that the papal system has set up that are clearly against God's word and his teachings. All seven churches, again, they appear worthy of praise. Judging by worldly standards or personal standards, we'd say, hey, these people are okay. But when the Lamb, when the divine Son of God judges, his judgment is different than worldly standards or... Or personal standards. Let's talk about this town of Smyrna. Who are these people? What was this town like that this church was in? We have to understand this, this town and what all was happening. And it transpired and involved in its history. So we can understand the terrible persecution that they were, were under in this place. This is an old city. It still exists today. The name of the city today is Izmir. It was a trade city. It had a seaport that was known for its wine and wealth. We're going to talk some about that. They had a lot of money in Smyrna. They were rich. A lot of businesses, a lot of trades, a lot of trade unions and so forth that were going on. And they buy and sell, sold their, their goods and ships would come in. They'd unload their stuff. They'd trade them back and forth and they made a lot of money. It was a a gateway coming out of the Aegean Sea to go into Asia and into Turkey uh, today, if you know where Turkey is. It was a beautiful city on the coast of the Aegean Sea, the glory of Asia. It was the first in Asia for its beauty and its size. It was 35 miles north of Ephesus, if you have a map In the back of your Bible or here in the book of Revelation in your own study Bible or whatever. Again, there's like a a uh, shoehorn or a horseshoe. It kind of comes up and uh, it's more of a point. But we looked at Ephesus down here along the the Aegean Sea. 35 miles north of it right here above of Ephesus is Smyrna. And we're just going to go right up and right back down as we look at these letters to these churches So it's here, it's 35 miles north of Ephesus, who we talked about two weeks ago. It was a prosperous city in Asia, and its leaders called it the pride of Asia. It was famous for science and medicine and beautiful buildings. Uh, It was a cultural center. They had a huge library there. They had uh, Homer's statue. Homer was an ancient Greek author, an epic poet. He's a reputed author of the Iliad and the Odyssey, if you've heard of those. These two epic poems uh, are the the foundational works for a lot of ancient Greek literature. He is uh, regarded as one of the greatest and most influential authors of all time. Smyrna was a very deeply religious city. This was the center of Caesar worship and the leading center of empire worship for many years. The city contained a hill called uh, the Pagos. Uh, this hill, the, the, the Pagos, Pagus, uh, all around it were false god temples that went all the way around in a circle at the bottom of this hill. If you stood up on the hill and you looked down, it looked like a crown. Hmm, interesting. We'll look at some of that when we get Further in our notes here and in, the, in the, what's going on here. But this city had this pagan worship. They had this pagos, this hill. They made sacrifices and worshipped on. And all these false gods had their little temples all around uh, the base of this hill. Um, Smyrna was called the crown of Asia. So very important. They built a shrine here to Roma in 195 B.C. In July of 44 B.C., when Julius Caesar was killed, four months after that, uh, his assassination, an unexpected comet appeared in the sky. This is history. Go look it up. It it was a uh, prodigy. Accepted as evidence that Julius Caesar was now in heaven, and they would say God Divinus Julius, God divine Julius Caesar. And as early as twenty six AD, one year before Christ was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist, a temple was erected to the emperor Tiberius Caesar. You see, these men started to look at themselves as God and wanted to be treated as God. And the people looked at them in awe. The Christians in Smyrna came under this type of pressure and persecution. And why? Because they were unwilling to say, Caesar is Lord. And they would say, Jesus is Lord. And they suffered persecution. They weren't allowed in the trade unions They would only get the menial jobs, the jobs that nobody wanted. So as far as material wealth and everything was concerned, the Christians that were in Smyrna were poor as far as as earthly standards were concerned because of the stand that they took saying that this guy is a man. He's not God. I don't care if it's Tiberius Caesar or Julius Caesar or whatever. Uh, It's just not so. Now, since the spirit of the empire of Rome was reflected in the leaders, it was easy enough for the people to believe that the supreme leaders were the embodiment of the spirit of the empire. And the emperors began to be viewed in awe. And usually this occurred right after they would die. Everyone in the city of Smyrna had to burn incense to Caesar, or they were politically suspect. A certificate of having been seen burning incense to Caesar was needed to be able to do business in the city. I'd tell you some stories about when I was in the Navy over there, but it would take too long. But we were going around and the guide there in Turkey was taking us around to all these different places. And we were at Pergama in the city and they said there were Caesar's statues here and you had to kiss the statues. You had to burn incense to them. But they wouldn't let you into the city to be able to buy, sell and trade. And that's right close to where we're at here. You see, this was what had to be done. In these places, these people were serious about their false religion, their false gods, and worshiping the Caesars. There was a contest in the known world back during this time, and Smyrna won the contest. It was to see who could erect the, the best shrine to Tiberius Caesar, and the people there in Smyrna won. Now, the Roman gods were the most dangerous of all gods. Because their servants could bring down punishment upon the head of Christians. For not submitting to those gods. So if you would be in that city and they said. You don't worship Caesar. You don't do this or that. Or you've never burned incense or whatever. They could take them and punish them. Seize whatever property they had. Sometimes even to the point of death. They would kill these people. So these were the people that the Christians at the Smyrna church were dealing with. And not only were these false gods and this Pagos Hill there and all these Greek false gods that they worshipped and the Caesars being worshipped here, there's also the pressure of these Jews. This was a huge Jewish center, Smyrna, because of the business, because of the trade. They had a huge synagogue in the, the town And they were very boastful and proud about this synagogue. And we know the Jews, they followed Paul and others around and persecuted them for their stand for Christ because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They wanted to stick to the law of Moses and uh, making sacrifices and all those things to uh, keep fulfilling the law. But these Jews were pressuring the Christians. And uh, we're told here that... uh, they aren't Jews, but that, that's what they said. You see, the idea here is these type of Jews, they lived also during the time of the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. And um, you may know of this about the Maccabean Revolt. The Catholic Bible has a section of books that we don't have in our regular Bibles because they say they're not canonized and not to be in there. But First and Second Maccabees is in there. And that was Jews who revolted against the Seleucid kingdom that had overtaken Jerusalem. And Antiochus Epiphanes was the ruler. And he went into the temple and did what? On the the altar. He went in there and sacrificed a pig, an unclean animal, to the god Jupiter. And this made the real Jews go crazy. They had to get rid of this guy. So they had the revolt, the Maccabean revolt, and I finally got rid of him. But there were Jews there, and they were like, well, let's just tolerate what's going on. Let's just compromise our views and everything. We don't want Antiochus to make it worse for us and maybe kill us and kill some of our family. Hmm. Those are the same kind of people that are here. We don't want these Romans coming down on us. We don't want these people to worship these false gods in town to come down on us. And these Christians... They're just a sore spot. They're just driving everybody nuts. They're turning the world upside down. What in the world are these people doing? Why don't they just shut up? So they started persecuting them. Shut up. Be quiet. Quit doing this. You're making matters worse for us. You see, they were just like the people in the Maccabean revolt. They said we're Jews. But they are not Jews. They're not going to a synagogue worshiping God. They're going to a synagogue that's worshiping the devil. The Jewish community there in this town, according to tradition and history, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's a book out there called The Apostolic Fathers. Irenaeus was one of these guys and other men. And there was a guy, you may have heard of him, called Polycarp. Well, the Jewish community was so hostile to the Christians in Smyrna that they killed Polycarp, an apostolic father, church father, on the Sabbath day. This town was also a place where games were held and um, wrestling, boxing, running, so forth, and they would give garland wreaths. And again, that the victor received those, and you were so proud to wear that little green thing on your head. And then after a while, it started the leaves fall off and turn brown and didn't last too long. But they wanted those. This town here also, uh, the leading god of Smyrna during the time of the the Greeks, who had it before the Romans, was a god named Dionysus. He is the god of wine. Smyrna was famous for its grapevines. Each year... The death and resurrection of Dionysus was acted out in the city streets. These uh, play actors would come in and act like Dionysus and show things about his life. And um, again, they showed about the wine and the pleasures and all this sensuality and materialism and things that this God would give them. The Romans didn't call him Dionysus, the Greeks did, but they called him Bacchus, so if you look this up in your computers, you'll see him. He's a man there and has a new shirt on and his long white little girly dress on that they wore back then. And he's got his little garland on his head and he's got a nice big cup. He's got a big old beard and mustache when you look at the, the sculptures and everything on him. And he's drinking his wine. He's, he's partying. You see, Dionysus is the god of the grape harvest, winemaking, orchards and fruits, vegetation, fertility, insanity, ritual madness, religious ecstasy, festivity, and partying. You see, the Greeks made partying a religion. You wonder why some of the college fraternities in that do it. They're taking after the Greeks and drinking their beers and their wines and their whiskeys and their liquors. They're making religion out of drinking and partying. That's who this guy represented, Dionysus or Bacchus. The Christians there had to face all of this. Perversion and wickedness and drunkenness at these temples and who these people were. And the Christians weren't doing them, and they were condemning them. Smyrna means myrrh, a perfume which releases its fragrance by crushing it. As we will see, the church in Smyrna was being crushed through persecution, but they were a sweet aroma to God. You see, these Christians here, they know the difference between a myth these false gods and so forth, and real solid historical fact. And the church was under pressure. Yet with fortitude, strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or bear pain and adversity with courage, that's who these people and Christians of Smyrna were. They were people of fortitude, who withstood all these pressures and they were able to gain an excellent commendation from Jesus. That was my introduction. Point one, notice God's knowledge. He says in verse nine there, I know, I know of your tribulation. I know of your affliction. You see, it's not just a headache. It's not an inconvenience. It's not a pressure. It's not just a little bit of grinding that gets at you or crushing pressure. You see, their world was crumbling around them. They were focusing on survival, relieving the pain. Jesus was commending them, telling them to look beyond the grave where they would receive the crown of life that would last forever. Not just a a crown that was going to last a few days for being a victor. You be the victor here in this battle against evil and perversion and what's holy and righteous and good, you're going to receive this crown that lasts forever and ever and ever. This is what you're going to receive. They were being attacked from the paganism and the political forces and the Jewish culture. They were all persecuting them. And Jesus challenges them to look beyond the here and now. Even though it's sometimes tough to do, he wants them to be strong and to bear the pain with courage. Because in the end, it's worth it all to keep fighting the good fight. He says, I know your tribulations and of your poverty. I know you don't physically have any money, but you're rich. You see, the word poverty here is not penai, not a not a poverty stricken. But the word here is um, petushai, meaning destitute. The people of Smyrna, again, were generally rich. But God views riches differently than the world. And they were destitute from those things, but they were rich as far as their faith was concerned, their Christianity. They were rich in the hope that they had in Christ. They were rich not in the fruits of that grape juice, that wine that they were drinking, but they were rich in the fruit of the Spirit that was going to help them have self-control and be able to help them to make it through and not to lose their balance and slip and sin and fall into the world. You see, the the church here, they were destitute because of their stand for Christ, reduced to the menial work of the town and received lower pay than anybody else. A city that was very affluent society. But the church didn't care about that. They did what was right. He says, I know your works. In spite of already the existing pressures again of the false pagan Roman worship, the slander of the Jews, and their extreme poverty, these were lovely people, faithful people. They would not compromise their stand for Jesus or their clear conscience, even when they were pushed For doing so. Whatever trouble came. They showed themselves to be a church of fortitude. Courage and pain and adversity. Unfortunately today. Our conscience is quickly thrown aside and thrown out the window. To gain pleasure. You see people have the attitude today. You know, it's better to fit in than to be ridiculed. It's okay. We can tolerate these things. We can compromise here and there. Can we? Did the church here at Smyrna compromise? Did the early Christians? What would it take today to gain a similar commendation from Jesus as these people received? The church today must stand against the false realities of society that is thrown at us. Where they say, you know, it's okay to take the life of an innocent in the uh, womb of a mother. It's okay to go and to party and to drink and to drink alcohol and get drunk and not know what you did and black out and so forth. It's okay to go and riot whenever you're unhappy and, and, and when you're rioting, it's okay to go into break into the Walmart and everybody in the, the riot crowd go and steal everything out of the stores, like what was happening during COVID. It's okay to beat people half to death during that. And yeah, we know that some died and everything, but, but that's okay. You know, all homosexuality, you know, it, it's normal, it, it's just an alternative lifestyle. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You can lie and bear false witness in the court of law. You know, who, who cares? They're not going to catch you. But when we stand against such things and we take a true stand for what is right, Jesus is going to commend us. Amen? He's going to be there with us, even if we're the, the minority. And it's just you and Jesus. It's just you and God. Stand tall. Stand firm. I know of your circumstances, he's saying in verse 9. They say they're Jews, and they're not. But really, they're the synagogue of Satan. Heavy on the word say here. You know, these people here, they wouldn't have recognized Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob if they lived in the house right next to them in the city. They weren't really Jews. You know, Jesus spoke to a Jewish audience and got a bad response in John 8. Paul says in Romans 9, 6 and following, that all Israel is not Israel. The only real Jew to ever exist is a believer in the Lord. We need to believe in Him. That word belief, trust in, rely on, obey. So proud were these Jews of their synagogue And all the while, they were going where the devil dwelt. And being tools in the devil's hand, not God's. Friends, and they even killed Polycarp. You see, they were really doing the devil's deeds. Devil wanted Polycarp dead because of him speaking out in his writings. Secondly, notice God's charge to him. Don't fear. Do not fear. What you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. I thought God would never let us suffer. Well, sorry. God says we're going to suffer. But don't fear when you're suffering for righteousness sake. You see, they were all about to feel the pressures increase. They were going to feel the screw getting tightened more and more. They were about to join a long list of those imprisoned for righteousness' sake. Were they going to be another Joseph? Another Daniel? Both of these men suffered for doing good, not evil. I wonder if these 10 days were a literal 10 days that they were going to suffer. Now, Daniel, he was tried for 10 days. He even asked for it in Daniel chapter 1. Twelve through thirteen, it says, he told the, the captain of the bodyguard that was in charge of him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, Please put your servants to the test for ten days, and let the appearance, or excuse me, and let us eat some of the vegetables and drink some water, and let our appearance be examined in your presence, in the presence of the youths who are eating the king's choice food. And deal with your servants according to what you see. You see, they weren't going to eat unclean foods. They weren't going to drink the drink of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. They said, no, that goes against our religion or our religious beliefs. Test us for 10 days. See if it's not true. And we see that Daniel and his buddies, his friends, they did look better in their appearance. And they went on and God rewarded them and they were had 10 times more knowledge than any of these others that were trained in this school. You know, Jacob, he was tried 10 different times in Genesis 41.7 when he went home to be with his mom's brother, Laban. And uh, Laban tricked him there with the, the, the girls. He thought he was marrying Rachel, and he was given Leah. And then he finally got Rachel, and then he was working with him to get uh, animals And this is what he says to Rachel. He says, your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to do me harm. You see, we can be tested maybe because we need to be tested to see if we're really Christians and really right. Others could test us to see who we are and what metal we're made out of. Job, you know, he was attested by his accusers in the book of Job 10 times, they questioned him and went after him. You see, 10 days, I, I personally believe, uh, became the expression for a period of trial by hardship. It was a complete, complete amount of time. You people here in Smyrna, could it be 10 little literal days? Yeah, sure. Sometimes they say in, in the prophetic language, a day is a year. Could it be 10 years they were going to suffer? Could be. Or it could just be 10, 10 times 10, you know, kind of number. And be a complete number that they were going to be tested by these people. And what does he tell them? Be faithful. God wants faithful, dependable, available people. He never promised delivery from trials, but a crown for the victor. The until here in our text means to the point of. Meaning therefore, even if it means death, unto the point of death, which could mean death. It could mean you're going to be a martyr for your beliefs. But even if that happens, that's only death here in this life. True life, again, is where God is and where Jesus is. I want to go there. That's where my country is. That's where my citizenship is. I want to go to that perfect utopia home that God has prepared for us where I'm going to be able to live forever, not have any more sin or pain or temptations or testings or what have you. Success secures, not earns, the crown of life. For the Sadducees, the Epicureans, the Buddhists, Death introduced nothingness. It was the end. You die. Oh, that's it. But for the faithful, according to the Scriptures, it's the beginning. Do we die and our soul just sleeps? No. Not for the righteous. You receive the crown of life. You receive eternal life. Eternal living. We're living now, right? Right? In this material world, when we go there, we're going to live life eternal. Now, for the wicked, they're going to receive eternal death, eternal separation from God, they're going to receive eternal torment and punishment. Many had won a race maybe even served their city and done great deeds in military battle and came home and received these garland wreaths and crowns. And they said, these are the victors' crowns. But the postcard here from Jesus to these people is, nah. Maybe that's what men give, but I'm going to give a real crown to you. I'm going to give you a crown of life if you endure and you're overcomers. And you overcome these things that you're going to face. A faithful Christian's crown was given to that overcomer and would last forever because it is made of life. It was incorruptible. It was undefiled. It's the crown of life. It would be easy to avoid persecution by compromise. But for all indications, they did nothing to compromise their conscience, or their standing with Jesus, even when it meant punishment or even possibly death for their stand. If your conscience is clear before God, you don't have to fear the second death or hell either, or even anything that men may throw at you. Unfortunately, today, many throw their conscience aside so they can gain pleasure and whoop it up. And grab all the gusto that they can while they can. Thirdly, notice God's promises. Tribulation, only 10 days. It's not forever. Okay, it's only for a time. And this too shall pass. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, said, No temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind. And God's faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, but with the temptation, provide the way of escape that you will be able to endure it. There's a way of escape when we're tempted and we go through trials and testings. And you can bear it, but you've got to look for the way of escape. You've got to try to bear it. Don't just give in and say, Oh, I give up. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm so tired. Oh, me, oh, my. What if the people in Smyrna did that? I just wanted to sit down for a second. What if they did that? What if they acted like that? I'm glad they stood in there, even to death. We haven't suffered the blood yet in America. There's people dying for their Christian views in other countries right now. In Hindu countries and in Muslim countries. Those things may come to our borders and our shores. What are you going to do if they ask you to deny Jesus? Are you going to say, Jesus is Lord? I hope so. These people were asked that. Is Caesar Lord? Jesus is Lord. What are we going to do? How are you going to act? Are you ready, prepared to meet your Savior? If the Lord returns right now, if you leave here and get in a crash and die on the highway, if you leave here and have a heart attack, are you prepared to stand before Him? Have you been living your life? there? You're saying, Jesus is Lord! I love him. I'll die for him. I'll die for my convictions in God's word. That's how much they mean to me. Or will you compromise? Will you tolerate? Will you go and say, Well, I'm not going to try to stand firm. I'm not going to try to overcome? Don't fear the second death. Don't fear hell. It can't hurt you if you're a Christian. And you're covered by the blood. It's a free grace gift to go to heaven. It's a grace gift. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Hell, he gives us what we need. If we're a believer and we've become a Christian. And we're living a godly life. In conclusion. What are we enduring for Christ? Have we lost anything? These people were poor. They they were destitute. But they were rich in Christ, which is what matters. He who has an ear, let him hear. To hear meant to obey. You know, many have heard for so long. You know, I wonder, have they become sermon-hardened? Have you become sermon-hardened? Are you sitting there maybe week after week and saying, yeah, I understand. I, I, I know what I need to do to become a Christian. And, but you know what? Uh, I'm hungry. I want to go get a hamburger. We'll put it off. You may not get another time. Felix said, when it's convenient for me, Paul, I'll send for you. Well, we never see it become convenient for Felix. Felix. He was kicked out and Festus came and took over for him as governor. You see, we need to be ready now. We need to ask ourselves, am I faithful? You know, it will be great when the troubles of this life are over. And we're with Jesus. But the question is, will you be there? Those who win shall be there forever. And they'll hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And they'll receive that crown of life. The men are going to come forward as we sing a hymn of invitation. And if you need to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus, do it now. Don't delay. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Will you repent? Will you confess him before men? If you do, he said, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. We be immersed, like it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The water in the baptistry is warm. We can flip the covers off. we got robes back here that you can change into. We can take your confession, baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in a matter of minutes. If you know and understand that, and you're ready to do that. And then after you become a Christian, you need to live a faithful life until the end. We're going to stand and sing. If you're ready to make that decision today, won't you please come?